All right, I've got a few kids that are going to come up and help me this morning. All right? So y'all come on. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes... Um, let's hold these in two hands. Like this. Seeing is not always believing. Isn't that right? Don't show them yet. It's a surprise. All right, so I'm hoping... You don't do one of this. Oh, yeah, you can have one. <laughs> all right just wait don't. all right so logan you're gonna go first hold these up i'm curious if anybody can tell me which one of these is the biggest swap them around see if they see if they move around yeah do them this way that way they're the same size but sometimes you can't tell all right hold this up maddox how many animals do you see in this picture Somebody said four. That's a pretty good guess. Somebody said five. That's a good guess. Y'all can't. Y'all got to show it over there. You got to show them, Maddox. Show them. There's 16 animals in this picture. 16. Sometimes seeing isn't always believing. Okay. What does Avery Grace have right here? Y'all back up. What's Avery Grace have? Is it a duck, or is it a rabbit, or is it an ostrich? As someone else said. Turn over here. Turn over here. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell, isn't it? All right, now, oh, we're upside down. This one is one of my favorites. Step forward. Okay, what do we have here? Somebody said two faces. Is it or is it a vase? Which one? It's two faces. Yeah, somebody, yeah, everybody's adamant about what they see. It's the blue dress, right? All right, hold it up, Wyatt. All right, which one of these lines is the longest? Hey, quit cheating. Which one of these lines is the longest? They're the same size, but you can't tell. It's kind of an optical illusion. And then finally, hold this one up high. This one's my favorite. You see this right here? Did I say the other one's my favorite? Whoops. They're all my favorite, just like the children and my children. They're all my favorite. Would y'all believe that every one of these lines are straight lines? None of these lines are crooked. Not a single one. They're not slanted at all. I'll leave these laying out because some of you are sitting back there thinking that I'm lying to you so you can come look at them later. And just because some of you think that I'll tell a story, I actually saved the, uh, the answer key for the elephant answer and I can show you all 16 animals. But uh, listen, this morning we're going to see... Good job, guys. Great job. This morning we're going to see that seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. Sometimes we can look at the right thing and still see the wrong thing. Still see the wrong thing. So Wyatt's going to read to us this morning from Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 48, 45. Please stand in honor of God's Word. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsidia where he dismissed the crowd and on the mount and after he had taken leave of them he went up to the mountain to pray and when evening came the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land and he saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea he meant to pass by them but when they saw him Walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, 
Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly, utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the word that you've given us. I pray, Lord God, that it would sink deep into our hearts. Father, for those of us that may have walked in, for those that may have walked in here today with hard hearts, I pray, Lord God, that the power of your word would pierce those hearts, Lord God, and break them. Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would work, Lord God, to reconcile people to you. Lord God, perhaps even to reconcile people to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. Great job, guys. Y'all be seated. Listen, some of you have already checked your watches. You're not going to want to look at those again, okay? Um, but the good news is we have lunch here afterward, and if you have a child um, in any way, if you're involved with our children's ministry, we would love for you to stay and eat. You can have my portion if we run short. I promise it'll be just fine, but we won't run short. We've got plenty, and I really hope that you will stay and enjoy that with us um, this afternoon, especially since we don't have uh, any evening service tonight. It's Life Group Fellowship weekend, so uh, hopefully your, your Life Group's made a plan to fellowship, but if... if uh, uh, if not, or if you're not sure what that would look like, you can see Pastor Kevin, and he can help you find a life group or contact your life group leader, and they'll help you. And, as I mentioned last week, for those of you that are visiting and wondering, where in the world am I going to go? We're going to get a new life group started very soon, um, uh, well, actually, in the next couple of weeks, so that we have room to put uh, a lot of these new faces that keep showing up. We, um, if, if you are sort of a, a regular here, and you've kind of felt lately like things are a little bit crazy, I, I did do the numbers this week and realized why. Um, we've grown uh, by 10 to 15 percent um, since May. So if it seems like we're a little crazy, we are a little crazy because um, a whole bunch of y'all don't look like anybody that we're used to looking like. Well, I mean, you do look the same way in that, you know, I should stop right there. What I mean is we don't know you and we're glad you're here. I've got people looking at me saying, hush, Craig, stop. All right. But brings us back to exactly where we started. Seeing is not always believing. Seeing is not always believing. By the time we reach this passage of Scripture in Mark chapter 6 that Wyatt just read to us, uh, the disciples have been with Jesus for an extended period of time. They have been hanging out with Jesus. They've been going all over the place. They've seen Jesus heal people. They've seen Jesus calm the storm. They have just witnessed Jesus multiply a few loaves and a few small fish and feed five thousand men plus women and children they have been with jesus and yet in this passage of scripture we see mark tell us in verse 52 that they did not understand about the loaves for their hearts were hardened folks listen to me your hard heart will inhibit the work of god in your life your hard heart will hinder the work of God in your life. The disciples were hard-hearted, and yet they spent a lot of time around Jesus. Do you know it's, a, it's, it's actually possible for you to spend a whole lot of time inside the walls of the church and never have your heart broken by the Holy Spirit of God? Do you know that there's some of you who are here today and you're visiting with us, maybe there's a child that got baptized or maybe you just wanted to see the kids sing or whatever the reason is, and some of you have believed the lies of the devil and they have actually, those lies have hardened your heart to a point that you've said, I don't want anything to do with the church. To be quite frank, some of you just 
don't want anything to do with the church. But you know what I find is that most people don't ever set out to say, I'm just going to turn the church off and I'm going to turn Jesus off and I'm going to walk away. It's usually sort of a slow fade. We don't get there overnight. Generally what happens is we, we, we lay out here, we lay out there, you know, we, we chase after this ball team or that ball team or we get, you know, the NFL season tickets or, or, or whatever it might be. We buy the new boat and, and, and we've got to justify that expense, whatever the, the, the excuse might be. And you, you miss here, you miss there. You, you, you decide it's not really that big a deal. You don't really need to be a part of a life group. You don't need to be plugged in. You can just show up to worship every once in a while. And the next thing you know, you pull back a little bit and you pull back a little bit and you pull back. And, and, and before you know it, You've not darkened the doors of a church in months or even years. I've been the pastor here for about five years. Um, Carl Cambites and I were up at the hospital. We were visiting somebody. It might not have been quite five years, but it was close. We were visiting somebody at the hospital. And on the way up, we met somebody in the elevator. And in the elevator, we began to talk to them. And, and uh, so we, we were up there to visit somebody to pray with them, ask if there's anything we could pray for them about. Could we pray for their loved one in the hospital? Oh, that would mean so much to me. If you would do that. I said, now, now where are you a pastor? I'm the pastor at Malvern Hill. I've been here for five years. Keep that in mind. I'm the pastor at Malvern Hill. She said, oh, that's my church. I said, really? She said, you must be the new pastor. I said, I've been here five years. The look on her face was heartbreaking. Because the look on her face was, I can't believe it. I can't believe that I've grown so distant from my church home that I can't even identify the pastor. Folks, are you hard-hearted? I mean, honestly, like, are you hard-hearted? Wyatt said there's no shame in crying. I'm going to tell you something, bud. There is no shame in crying, and we would be all a lot better served if occasionally we were willing to be known as the kind of people with a tender enough heart that the, the, the struggles of this world, the pain of this world, the hurts of this world could actually bring us to tears. We've become such a callous society that we sometimes laugh at things that should make us cry. We've become such a callous society that rather than feel bad about what's going on in the world, we change the channel. We've become such a callous society that we would just as soon entertain ourselves as consider anything that might be remotely depressing. And yet the Bible presents us with a God who is deadly serious. You say, Pastor Craig, this is kind of heavy for Children's Sunday. Eight years ago, eight years ago, we baptized for the very last time in this sanctuary before the construction. Eight years ago. See, eight years ago, we were packed to the brim, to the, to the gills. Nothing like this, because all of y'all wouldn't have fit in our old sanctuary. Some of you that aren't from around here don't realize, but the sanctuary used to just be this part right here. And eight years ago, we baptized 12 people. On the last Sunday that we met in August of 2010, eight of those 12 were children. I think seven of those 12 are with us in this building today. You say, Craig, these are heavy things. And I'm here to tell you that we're not in this primarily so that we can get kids wet. 
We're in this so that those children who pass through the waters of baptism and those children that eat cookies and drink Kool-Aid in the children's building and those children that are up here standing in front of you trying to learn and help and understand what it is to lead in worship, that those children will be more than cute little people in front of us. They will grow up to be young people and adults who love Jesus and lead in Christ's church. Robert talks about bridge builders, but I'm here to tell you it better be our desire that these children eight years from now are building bridges for others. And I'm thrilled to tell you that a whole bunch of them are. A whole bunch of them are. Now, how in the world, though, do we avoid this hard-heartedness? You say, Pastor Craig, I want to be the kind of person that looks at the children in our church. I want my heart to look at the pain in them and to be broken for the hurt and the pain they go through. How do we get there? If the disciples themselves couldn't avoid hard-heartedness, what can we do? I want to give you three things, and I'm going to try and give them to you quick. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write quickly. But the first thing this morning that you need to do is to be faithful and not familiar. Now, this photo that I've got right here, it, it just is awesome. All these kids are standing. I, I didn't put it on the screen because I didn't want to embarrass them, but they are really cute. I mean, they are really, really cute. Um, but they're all standing in the stairwell the way it used to look going up to the old baptistry. They're all stacked in just like stair steps. But I had this, this picture not just to remind me of what can happen. I, I have this picture this morning because it reminds me as I look at all of them that several of these kids have started driving in the last year or two. It's terrifying. Now, look, I, I've seen parents with a mixture of fear and joy on their faces as their kids drive them to church on Sunday mornings for the first time. I, I've seen these parents struggling to teach their kids to drive. They, they teach to the test. I had one of the parents tell me, he said, you know, a kid failed a, a, a test. And, and I just looked at him and said, you need to know all the answers. You know what I, I heard in that? I'm not teaching you how to drive. I'm teaching you how to pass a test. And we've all been there, haven't we? And that's exactly what we tried to do. We wanted to learn everything we needed to know to pass that test. Now listen, can you imagine having to take a driving test again as an adult? I just want you to think about that right I just saw pain in some of your faces. Ugh. Most of you who are teaching your kids to drive are saying things like this. Don't watch me do what I'm telling you. I mean, we drive with one hand on the wheel... We drive with one knee on the wheel while we unwrap our Sonic cheeseburger. You know, I mean, we're, we're balancing between all the different drinks that we have because in the morning you got to have coffee and maybe you're dehydrated and you need the water. And some of you are like drinking a tea all at the same time. I don't even know how you do that. But, but driving has become familiar to us and as a result, it's lost its novelty. You'll discover that with the familiarity of driving, you can arrive somewhere sometimes and not even remember all the steps to get you there. This morning, the fire alarm went off here at 3 in the morning. Praise Jesus for fire alarms, I guess. There was no fire, just so everyone knows. But I got the phone call from the fire department that said, somebody has to come out here. I guess they meant me. So at 3 in the morning, I jump in my truck and I drive. And, and as I was driving, you know what? I wasn't thinking about what in the world I was doing. I was just thinking about staying awake. 
All I needed to do is to make sure that I got here. But I didn't have to go through the careful process because driving is a familiar practice. Angela's looking at me with great fear right now, like, what were you doing at 3 in the morning? I made it back alive. We're good. Listen, the disciples had become so familiar with Jesus that they had ceased to be amazed at the works of Jesus. They, they still didn't understand about the fish and the loaves because Jesus had ceased to be a big deal to these guys. Jesus had become familiar for them, and as a result, they ceased to be faithful. You say, Craig, I don't know about those words. Let me give you some synonyms. Familiar means informal, casual, relaxed, easy, comfortable, friendly, unceremonious, unreserved, open, natural, unpretentious. Trust me on this. If your relationship with Jesus is comfortable, you are not doing it right. After all, it was Jesus himself who said that I have come to bring, not to bring peace to the earth. I've come to bring a sword. Jesus came to stir things up. Consider those some synonyms for faithful, loyal, committed, true, devoted, steadfast. Sometimes seeing is not always believing because we've become so familiar that we cease to be faithful. You know, this is some of the discord that we often see in marriage. It becomes a stereotype. But it's only a stereotype because it's true. If we aren't careful, we get so familiar with our marriage and our family that we cease to be faithful. We're no longer committed, true, and devoted. Not necessarily because we develop some sort of thought or feeling against our spouse, but simply because they become so familiar. And for many of you, Jesus has become so familiar that you've ceased to be devoted and faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to guard against our overfamiliarity with Jesus. It's always been my concern with some of the lackadaisical way that we approach God in prayer. If we're not careful, we begin to speak to God in prayer as though He was like a hunting buddy or a shopping friend. Hey, God, what's up? So, you know, it's me just keeping it real. I guess that's how the kids are talking these days. But, you know, even some prayer, but for the record, I, I, like, some prayers are theologically, theologically correct, and yet they can lead us into dangerous places. I don't approach God in prayer as daddy, lest any of you with your theological education come and tell me that Jesus called him Abba, a very... Uh, uh, approachable word for father. I know that. I'm not going to tell you that it's theologically incorrect to refer to God as your daddy. What I'm telling you is that for me, and I would suggest that for most of you, when you continue to refer to God using only those very familiar terms that you use in all of your regular everyday language, then God ceases to be something that is holy and magnificent and becomes something that is less than what the scripture shows him to be. That doesn't mean that God isn't your daddy. It just means he's a whole lot more than your homeboy. He is our heavenly father. And he is big. He is a big, big deal. And if we're not careful, we can become so familiar that we cease to be faithful because God becomes our buddy. And when that happens, the expectations that I feel from God slide to nothing. You see, I don't expect my buddies to hold me accountable for anything, right? Isn't that right? And a lot of you have people like that. You guys, you show up at the gym, you don't want them to hold you accountable for anything. You just want them to be there so you got somebody to talk to and get out of the way. A lot of us treat God that way. Just somebody to talk to when nobody else is around. But don't give me expectations. That lack of expectation will give us a hardened heart. 
and will not be able or willing to hear what it is that God has to say. The disciples didn't understand who Jesus was in part because they had become, he had become their friend and they had become all too familiar with him. Beware that you don't become too familiar with Jesus. Be faithful, not familiar. Number two this morning, be curious, not content. How do you avoid hard-heartedness? Be curious. Be amazed. Cultivate a sense of awe and wonder. You know what the best thing about fireworks are? You know the best thing about fire. Well, I guess at least the second. One of the cool things about fireworks is one of them gets away and like old uh, people have to run away from them. I don't say that to be ugly to any of y'all, but it happened to my grandma one time. And it was terrifying in the moment. But when we looked back, it created one of those family experiences that, I mean, you just kind of rally around. Um, she was okay, but that wheelchair was never the same. It was a really, really bad experience. No, that's not, that's not the best thing. about. you know what the best thing about fireworks are? It's not the fireworks, at least for me. See, if the fireworks are going right there, one of my favorite things to do is to sit like this and watch the faces of my kids. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that is awesome. Because for kids, fireworks are magical. They're incredible. They're filled with awe and wonder. Sometimes I don't just do this with fireworks. I do it at the base of a waterfall or in front of a giant ice cream cone. That's right. Have you ever watched kids' faces when somebody hands them one of those ice cream cones that's about that big? They know there's absolutely no way that they can eat the thing, but their eyes get about this big and their faces turn just like this. They have a sense of awe and wonder at what in the world could possibly happen with all of that. It's difficult to take the kids to an ice cream shop. It's difficult because they are so amazed by all of those flavors and opportunities that they don't know how to make a decision. It blows them away. You know what I see in those kids' faces is pure, unadulterated joy, amazement, wonder, curiosity. The looks on the faces of kids should inspire us. We grew up and we lost our childlike joy. And in so doing, we've lost the ability to be amazed. I told y'all a while back I bought a bicycle. Y'all got tired of hearing my bicycle stories. You know the thing about a bike that amazed me? I forgot how much fun a bicycle is. I forgot. Because I, I grew up. I got old and boring. I forgot what it's like to drop off down a big hill. And to have the wind in your face. Some of y'all are like, whatever. Listen, the kids get it, okay? Y'all watch Sloan coming down a hill and you go, oh, that's a kid having fun. Somehow or other, we all got to be too old to have a good time. And yet we serve this God of amazing wonder. Just imagine, the disciples were with Jesus and they were content to have full bellies and were not the least bit curious about how in the world it happened. Think about what Mark says. Think about it. They were utterly astounded when they saw Jesus come across the water, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Can you imagine? We sit here and go, oh, disciples, how could you be so hard-headed and not get it? But how many of us just don't get it? We've lost our joy. We've lost our amazement, our curiosity. Algis Huxley supposedly once said, the secret of genius is to carry the spirit of the child into old age which means never losing your enthusiasm. Children, Sunday, I want our kids to learn, but I hope some of us can learn from our kids. 
What an incredible thing it is to look at the face of a child and to consider the joy that comes and to know that there is great joy to be found in Christ. Some of you have these hard hearts because you're so busy trying to make the world all mean and ugly and callous. You're trying to figure out who you can gossip about or run down or the next dollar you can make. And you need to be lost in wonder and amazement at a God who gave you another breath to breathe. I had a woman pray to receive Christ last week. I hadn't gotten over it all week. I hadn't gotten over it. She said, I can't believe that God would give me another chance. It's unbelievable. Do you know that God would give you another chance? Do you know that? Do you know it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been? God will give you another chance. He'll give you another life. He'll forgive you for all of your sins, all of your shortcomings, all the mess that you've created. He'll do that. And folks, if that doesn't give you a sense of joy and wonder and amazement, listen to me, you've got a hard heart. Because we serve a God who is that awesome. And in the face of a child, we can begin to recapture some of the joy. Jesus said, let the children come to me. I can't help but believe that perhaps he looked at him as he said, such are those who enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to become like a child. Is it possible that that becoming like a child has a whole lot to do with us actually having the willingness to put aside some of our adultness and just receive some of the overwhelming joy that comes from Jesus? Man, the disciples were hard-hearted. They didn't get it. They were content. Did you hear that? They were content. Don't miss it. They were satisfied. And because they were satisfied, they didn't see what Jesus had done. We're going to see here in a minute, but what Jesus had to do to get the disciples from content to save was to get them unsatisfied. Folks, this affluent culture in which we live has lulled us into satisfaction. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus offers you more than the world has. He offers you an abundant life. See, the disciples didn't understand about the loaves. What? Even if they didn't understand, they should have been amazed. They should have been in awe. They should have been going, what in the world just happened? But instead, they were rowing across the lake. Instead, the disciples were content. They were following the Messiah. They were expecting the kingdom of God to be inaugurated soon. And they had full bellies. The disciples did not need to pray, give me this day my daily bread. Jesus was right there and he always took care of it. And as a result, they were content. Folks, do you want to get past a hard heart, find a heart that's willing for, and, and able for the Lord to work. Be curious and not content. Be curious for what it is that the Lord might be able to do with you and through you and in you and for you. When's the last time your imagination just ran wild and you thought, wow, God could do that? Just give it a shot. I know we're running late. Listen, focus. Last thing this morning. I want you to worship and not watch. Do you know that you become what you worship? Do you not believe it? Look with me, Isaiah chapter 42. I love Isaiah 42. It's the chapter of Scripture that God used to call me into, call me into ministry 20 years ago. 20 years ago in October. Worship, don't watch. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 17. Isaiah teaches us that we become that which we worship. We become what we worship. Do you want to know why it is that you've become dour and hard-hearted? Because you've worshipped the things that aren't of the Lord. You haven't worshipped Jesus. You worship things the world have to say. Watch, verse 17. They are turned back and utterly put to shame. Who do what? Who trust in carved idols. Who say to metal images, you are my God. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. 
Who is blind but my servant Israel, or as deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind is my dedicated one, or blind is the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but he does not observe them. Here, God is saying through his prophet that Israel has bowed down and worshipped idols, and as a result, they have become just like those idols. They become blind and deaf and mute and hard-hearted. And many of you have hearts that are not open to God doing great and magnificent works in your life because you bow down to the idols that this world has to offer. And you've become just like them. You've worshipped at the idol of, of materialism. You've worshipped at that idol and all the things that you've accumulated can't hear and they can't see and they can't feel. And you become just as callous as they are. And God says, I have more. What a God we serve. Worship, don't just watch. See, here's another hard truth. Not only do we become what we worship, but we worship that which we desire. Look at your bank account. Look at your spending history. Look at your time investment or the places where you direct your attention. That is what you love. And ultimately, it is what you serve or worship. Listen to me. It is what you serve or worship. Do you write checks to your church? Why? You write checks to the things that matter in your life. And those are the things that you worship. Ultimately, you love those things, and ultimately it is what you serve. But I don't want you to worry. God will give you the desires of your heart. The Bible teaches us that. He will come and dine with you. Do you desire the world and the things of the world? Listen, He'll give them to you. Reflect with me at Romans chapter 124 and 126 and 128. Three times in those verses, God says to humanity, I'm going to turn you over to your own desires. In Romans chapter 1, it's a statement of judgment as he says, I'm going to give you everything you wanted. And as a result, you're going to inherit death and destruction. But I'm standing before you right now to tell you that he will give you Christ. And Christ is more than enough. Don't just watch. Worship. The disciples had become familiar and content, and as a result, they were not in awe of Jesus. They weren't worshiping Jesus. They watched Jesus, but they didn't worship. According to Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, it was after Jesus came to them on the water that the disciples first worshiped Jesus. When he came to them on the water, he was no longer an overly familiar friend, and the disciples couldn't help but be curious and in awe. Now watch this language. Mark says in verse 49, uh, 48, he saw they were making headway painfully and the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to, to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him, he stopped. He meant to pass by. That is some odd language. Kevin told me this week that it reminds me of like a Bigfoot sighting. Like he's just trying to get right past. It's weird. It doesn't seem to make good sense. We don't understand that. But we don't understand it because we're biblically illiterate. Okay? The Bible says Jesus meant to pass by them. Now, this is intentional in Mark's words because Mark wants us to allude all the way back to Exodus chapter 33. And if you have your Bibles and you can turn there, that would be great. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19. Now, in verse 18, Moses says, God, I sure would love to see you. I want to behold your glory. And the Bible says that God says to Moses, Oh, I've lost my page. The Bible says that God says to Moses in verse 19, I will make all my goodness pass before you and, I, and will proclaim before you the name the Lord and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will I show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now if we go on down to chapter 34 verse 6, the Bible says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. 
A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. What does the Lord mean? That word that we see, God's personal name that he gave to the children of Israel. I am that am. The Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus had the intent of passing by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he said, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Sounds a whole lot like here I am. Mark wants us to understand that Jesus appeared to the disciples on the lake because Jesus wanted the disciples to know that he was more than a miracle worker that gave them full bellies. He was more than a healer. He was more than a preacher. He was more than a political leader. Jesus was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the great I am. And folks, the Bible says, if we turn to Matthew's account, that when they became aware of just who it was that was in their presence, Peter said, I want to come out there too. The Bible says that Jesus says, come on. Peter jumped out of that boat. Peter started walking across the water. And he kept his eyes on Jesus. And he worshiped the Lord as he walked. But the Bible says that Peter began to look all around at everything else around him. He saw the danger of the waves and the wind. And when he began to see him, he got afraid because he took his eyes off the Lord and he began to sink. But right there in the midst of his peril, the Bible says that Jesus reached down and grabbed him. Listen to me, folks. It really doesn't matter if you can hold on to Jesus. The great news of God's word is if you've given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he won't let you sink. He won't let you die. He'll never let you go. And he will never, ever forsake you. Jesus met the disciples on the water and he upset their world. They went from satisfied to terrified. And in their terror and amazement, their hearts were softened. And the, the, the scales were removed from their eyes. And in that moment, they worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't just watch him anymore. They began to worship. He is. The living God. The hour is late and I am well aware. But some of you have work that you need to do with the Lord today. Some of you walked in here today with hard hearts. And look, I don't even know what makes them that way. You understand? Like, like life is hard. I know that. Some of you hear me say all this and you go, Well, Craig, you don't understand. I don't know. I don't know how the pain of your life has hurt you. I don't. I do know how things like the death of a loved one can make it so hard to even want to get up and go back about life the next day. And we can begin to question, if God really loves me, then why in the world would that happen? I know that's true. Some of you know the pain of addiction. Some of you know the pain of abuse. Some of you look at all these children on this stage and you know the pain of infertility. You know the pain of losing children. Folks, I, I, can't, fix, I can't fix those things. But Jesus is enough. And in the middle of your stormy sea, He comes to you. And He passes by. And he doesn't pass by you because he plans to leave you. He passes by so that as he passes by, you catch a glimpse of the God of glory. And in that moment, your senses are awakened. In that moment, what was so familiar is now foreign. And you want only to be faithful to that one. In that moment... You move from content to curious. 
What might this God be able to do for me? And in that moment, you fall on your knees and you move from watching to worship and you say, Lord God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Save me. Let me tell you something. He will. He will. Some of you need to be saved today. Some of you need to come forward today and you say, Craig, I've been living my life as a Christian separated from the church for weeks, months, years. I got mad. I got hurt. I got angry. I've been mad at God. I've been mad at the church. I've been mad at this. I've been mad at that. But what I understand is what I need is God to pass by. I don't need a whole lot from Him, but if I could just catch a glimpse. Can I tell you that the glimpse is here today? He's alive in His Word. And he promises he'll never leave you or forsake. As Kevin comes to lead us this morning, I'm going to pray and I'm going to challenge you this morning to trust the Lord God in this time of response. Whatever it is that God would have you to do today, would you move? Would you come forward? Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would work. I know it's late, God. I pray that we'd be able to push all that aside for just a few minutes. Or God, that we would instead come and do business with, with the Lord. And Father God, we would get past our comfort and our convenience. Lord God, that we would come curious, begging, Father, what might you be able to do? Lord God, that we wouldn't sit in these seats or stand, Lord God, and watch a band. That we would worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in the powerful, moving name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with us?